Welcome, everybody. Oh, well, okay. The social... <laughs> the lower third came up. Welcome, everybody, to the Rogue Transmission, episode 20. Uh, this is uh, the, the audio-only episode, on top of being the Mandalorian spoiler episode. Uh, Dom and I were both just kind of feeling a little meh today, uh, and so we're just like, let's not appear on camera. We'll do the audio-only thing. Um, also... My last live stream that I did on Wednesday was having some issues. Uh, it, it was uh, like had a lot of hiccups. That's what I'm gonna say. Had a lot of hiccup hiccups. So I, I didn't really want to do too much in terms of like webcams and everything and those different feeds. And, and I, I wanted to just have a simple live stream so we could do this Mandalorian spoiler episode. Um, so yeah, here we are. Uh, good good morning. Good Sunday morning. Dom, how are you doing? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I'm doing all right. I feel like my allergies are really kicking my butt. Uh, these past couple of days, I've been sneezing up a storm. Oh, man, I feel like I turned into my dad with that that crap. Uh, but other than that, I'm enjoying my time off from work. Uh, I've been playing a lot of uh, Doom Eternal. Actually, I just beat the game, but man, that game is crazy. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but I, like, I bought it because it was on sale, and then I started playing it. And then I was just like, I'm not really in the mood to play this. Like, you know, I, I feel like for like Doom, especially, I need to be in a certain headspace and a certain mood to play that game. And I was just like, eh, I'm not really there right now. So I, I have shelved it for now for that time that I'm just like, I want this. So yeah, I'm glad it's... you're having a good time with it. Yeah, like I, I had enjoyed the first game. I, a friend of mine from college introduced me to the Doom franchise, and my first game was Doom 2016, and I really enjoyed it. And I was looking forward to a potential second game because of that cliffhanger. Um, and then, yeah, dude, it took me like almost a week to beat it. And I saw on Steam because it was on sale, and I was like, oh, let me buy it. Got the DLC, and I spent like 27 hours playing the damn game. And oh my gosh, like all day every day just like playing it playing it playing it and i and i've really enjoyed it but it, man it got really intense because of the difficulty the fights oh my gosh like my left hand was freak was effed up because of the keyboard controls and now i'm just kind of like glad i can relax but man it, it's a good game but you definitely need to be in the right headspace and really devote time for it nice yeah, I'm, I'm that way right now with Cyberpunk. Just like any moment I can, I'm playing it. Still loving that game, by the way. Uh, but this is not... Th these are not the topics for this episode. This is not what you came here to listen to. You came here to listen to our thoughts on The Mandalorian Season 2. Um, there's so many things. And uh, I have some notes. Um, Dom, did you, did you do your homework? Because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll admit I did not do my homework, but that's fine. I have the list of episodes in front of me, and I remember what happened each one. So as we talk, like I'll remember more and more. So it's, I don't foresee it being a problem. Yeah. This. So and and we'll probably like jump around a lot just because that tends to happen. Um, but yeah. So let's let's start season two. This was like this was kind of a big deal to me because like season one was great. And I was like, I really hope they don't lose that in season two, you know? And now I kind of have that same thing about season three. It's like, oh, season two was really good. I really hope they don't lose that in season three. Because I have this fear as like, as a show goes on, it just kind of gets lazier. And it's like, there's only so many things that you can do with the show mm -hmm. as it, you know, goes on. 
Um, and I feel like long running shows can kind of get to the point where it just feels like they're just, they're running just for the sake of running, but they don't have the same like spirit as the, the earlier seasons do. Um, so anyways, I loved season two. I thought it was awesome. I, I might have liked it more than season one, if I'm honest with you. Um, but let's, let's talk about start from the beginning, which is also technically the middle chapter nine, the Marshall. This was great. This was like, <laughs> it was to me, it was like, it was a really good opener. It was hardcore Western. Like star Wars has always been Western, but this was like another level of just pure Western. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not too well versed uh, in the world of Westerns, but I, I know that feeling. I've seen a thing or two, and it was awesome. The The main thing was like, right out of the gate, uh, I forgot the character's name, but you know, like they're in the uh, the wrestling pit, you know, with the, the Gamorreans, and the dude's just like, I know of one Mandalorian on, on Tatooine. And immediately I'm like, <gasps> already like we're gonna get to to you know who already <laughs> <laughs> and then that that leads into the whole uh thing with the marshal with um uh, uh what was his name damn it every time Cobb, uh Cobb vance Cobb vance yeah uh, and i was like oh did because the the episode was titled the marshal i was like oh did boba fett like escape from the sarlacc pit and just start governing a town you know or policing a town uh, and so Mando goes into this cantina, and then who's in the doorway? Not Boba Fett, but someone wearing Boba Fett's armor, aka uh, Cobb Vance. A little too slim for that Mando armor. <laughs> it, it is funny because it's like it is so big on him, which I think is funny considering that, like, I think. If this was like actually Boba Fett's armor, like from Empire, it probably would have fit Cobb Vance pretty well. But because, you know, uh, I guess spoiler warning or, you know, like for later in our talk, Boba Fett, because um, <laughs> it's for Tamura Morrison right now, it's like really big. <laughs> so it really doesn't fit Cobb Vance. Or, uh, but anyways, and it's like, it was really beat up. Like his armor. It just looked corroded and like, yeah, yeah, he was in a Sarlacc pit, all right. That armor has been around, but uh, it was unmistakably, uh, unmistakably Boba Fett, which was really cool. Um, yeah, any thoughts so far? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just letting you do, no, I was letting you do your rant because with audio, you know, you do, you can easily cut someone off, and you know, I don't want to do that. But yeah, so I mean. I like how the episode starts off showing, you know, what the Mandalorian is capable of. Like, he's ruthless and whatnot. Like, he can handle his own. And I thought it was really, really cute and charming where, you know, he's in that wrestling ring. And his little bird gauntlet thing, like, starts up. And the child knows what's going to happen. So he closes his own yeah. little his own little bed thing. And I just cracked up. I thought it was freaking adorable. Um but still, like, he hangs the guy up by the lamppost, and, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to kill you, but, like, I'm not going to save you either. So it's just like, dang, man. Oh, yeah, it was like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
but then yeah you know go to Tatooine and where he mentions the Mandalorian like there's one on there I'm like it could be Boba Fett but I'm pretty certain it's not going to be him just yet um, and then my my theory was confirmed where the guy in the doorway was way too thin for that armor I'm like no it's this other guy that I'm thinking about uh, so Cobb Vant for those of those that don't know he was actually introduced in the aftermath star wars trilogy books and that takes place place after return of the jedi and kind of like more of the the official fall of the empire and i believe it was the first of the three where there's like this side i imagine it like being like a a, a cut scene in a movie where they sh- they cut to tatooine and they refer to like these Jawas, like they had like this Mandalorian armor, and this guy, you know, buys it from them. Um, but I don't recall it being where this guy is kind of like wandering the desert kind of thing, and he's like dying, and they save his life. It seemed more like he, in the book anyway, it seemed more that he was, like he goes to the Jawas on purpose, and um, and then he just happens to find the armor, and he buys it from them. But I digress. Uh, but anyway, this is the same guy in that novel. And I'm glad that they brought him in because it kind of shows a little bit more of who this guy is. And it turns out that, yeah, he's like protecting Moss Pelgo uh, on Tatooine. Um, he's like the good guy kind of thing. I thought he was going to be like some sort of like random scoundrel or whatever, like causing trouble. But he's not. And then, you know, him and, and Din Djarin almost duke it out in that bar and uh but yeah then they team up and they go fight a, a crate dragon which was really cool because we had never seen a crate dragon on the big screen before and there's still kind of like some debate on you know what kind of crate dragon was it it was it actually a worm or was it like this actual like big physical monster that has legs because my only real uh exposure to crate dragons had been you know in the uh, old republic video games and it's actually like this giant lizard kind of thing and but in the show it was like almost like the tremors worm for if you ever seen those movies and for me that was kind of disappointing its size is massive like don't get me wrong it's freaking huge and it's a deadly beast but i was just kind of like underwhelmed that it was just like oh it's just a worm you know uh but then a concept artist or whatever confirmed slash released images of two different versions of the crate dragon where there's like there's like a subspecies of the big one the big one being uh kind of like this uh actual dragon like thing but we only see its head so that means that it's moving in the ground and that's just it's, you know we only see the head and, and the neck of it but the other subspecies, like, yeah, it's more of a worm kind of thing. But that's not what we saw in, in the in the show, which I wish they would have clarified a little bit more. That's just me being nitpicky. But, yeah, they team up with Cus- uh, Tusken Raiders, and they try to fight the whole thing down. Uh, and I thought it was so badass of uh, the Mandalorian just, like, blasting his way out of the mouth of the Great Dragon. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the Great Dragon in Mando fits better with the skeleton that's in a new hope which is just kind of like a a head with a spine so a worm um but also yeah like it could just be a different version i mean for all we know young crate dragons are worms and then they grow up and grow legs i mean yeah who knows but yeah the tuscan raider thing was actually really cool um 
just like that was one of my favorite things about uh, one of the episodes in the last season was when Mando was communicating with them uh, because you know we only see Tusken Raiders really as the bad guys and never just as these like indigenous people um, and it, it's just it was really cool I really enjoyed that aspect of it uh, also just like a fun thing is the the fact that it went from uh, 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio to 16 by 9 um, for the the crate dragon fight uh, which like I noticed about halfway through and I was like wait a minute Th- th- this isn't this isn't cropped this is 16 by 9 i was like are, are did they switch to are they switching to 16 by 9 for the mandalorian i was like kind of disappointed because i like the classic film 2.35 look yeah um, and then it switches back and i was like oh okay well, it was just for that that fight but then after the crate dragon has been slain uh the big reveal of the episode <laughs> um is boba fett technically the first time we've seen him uh, or the second time, but uh, the first time that we've seen his face in uh, it, at all, really. I mean, I guess you know when he was younger, but adult Boba Fett, uh, which was kind of like kind of a big deal, kind of not because we know he's a clone, so we kind of know what he looks like. But still, before this, we'd never seen Boba without his helmet, so that was kind of cool, you know. Um, but yeah. apparently. He, Go ahead. Sorry. This is exactly what I want to avoid. No, it's okay. Uh, But apparently he's just been living it out on Tatooine for whatever reason. Uh, And I kind of feel like we'll find out later on. But yeah, he he has his his gaffy stick. And I think he had one of the Tusken Raider uh, snipers or something. So, but yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. That's when me and my wife got really excited because they, they showed him. And that's when I was like 90% sure it was Boba Fett because it just shows that this, this kind of like hooded figure, but obviously not hooded, but he had like this black robe on. Um, and we just see, you know, Tamara Morrison on screen. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that, that has to be Boba Fett. Like that, that, that makes the most logical sense. But then people were out there were like, oh, like maybe it's a clone or Captain Rex. I'm like, why in the world would Captain Rex be doing on Tatooine? Like, he'd be fighting for the freaking rebels, you know, um, yeah. at this point. Or, you know, well, probably passed away at this point because he was getting pretty old. But I'm just like, oh, come on. Like, why? Why would it be a, a random clone? That, that would serve no purpose. Yeah, let me, let me tell you why, like, how you know, even without story implicate or without, like... Uh, yeah, let me just tell you, you people, how how you know it's Boba Fett. Um, obviously, we know now, but um, even that that night, I was like, you people, just obviously, you don't understand. You maybe just don't know, don't know or understand how this this works. <laughs> um, uh, which I feel like sounds condescending. I don't mean to sound condescending, but where like at the beginning of the episode, we you know the the guy and the the pit tells Mando about a Mandalorian on Tatooine. You as the audience, we know that. Well, the only Mandalorian that we know of on Tatooine was Boba Fett, right? And the show is titled The Mandalorian, so Boba Fett's always kind of floating in your brain. Um, So anyways, and then, you know, he goes to Tatooine, and it's not Boba Fett, but it's a man wearing Boba Fett's armor. So again, it's like they're teasing Boba Fett. They're alluding to Boba Fett, but it's not Boba Fett. And so then at the end of the episode... When we so Mando puts the armor on his speeder and then speeds away, and then we see a man who you know is Tamir Morrison, who played Boba Fett or at least voice acted the clones. Well, and he played the clones physically and then 
kind of redid the lines in Empire Strikes Back. You, you know what I mean? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> we see Tamira Morrison standing there watching Mando speed off in the distance with his armor, and then he turns around and walks, you know, to the side of the camera. From a storytelling perspective, that is obviously supposed to be Boba Fett. That is inferring that that is Boba Fett because he's been teased the entire episode. If it was a clone, that would make no sense from a a, a structure, a story structure, you know, like that, that would be just that that would make no sense at all to me. So I, I feel like, you know, more on that, like, let's say in another version of this episode, let's say it was Captain Rex randomly for whatever reason, or just another clone. Mm hmm. For one, it it wouldn't make sense because of the age enhancement. You know, they would look pretty old. Uh, they would, you know, be like Rex with the beard, you know, or, or mm -hmm. Wolf with the beard. You know, they'd be really grayed out. Boba Fett fits this age time frame pretty well. He's in his, like, well, I think late 30s, early 40s at this point. Because he doesn't have that age enhancement. Mm -hmm. Two, if it was a clone... For whatever reason, I feel like it would be for one a, a slap in the face and a disservice to the audience because, like you said, they tease Boba Fett the entire way through by the name of the show and the fact that he introduces armor, right? So it's just mm -hmm. like, oh, it's not Boba Fett, just a random clone. Like what? Like even if the story made sense that you managed to incorporate a random clone, that's still a disservice and a a, a slap to the face to the fans of Boba Fett. Yeah, because like, the whole episode they've been teasing him. And you never got that payoff of seeing Boba Fett. And so at the very end, they're going to give you that payoff, right? Um, it's just kind of about understanding, like, I hate to be the English teacher, but that whole, like, everything or almost everything has a meaning, you know? Why is the door red um, sort of thing? And, and just, uh, like, I don't even want to say understanding story structure, but just, like, thinking about, you know, that the, yeah. I don't know how to best explain that without sounding condescending, but yeah, I think uh, you're on point there too about like just it would be a slap in the face. It's like that would make no sense. It would it would be kind of jarring if it was like, oh, I thought that was Boba Fett, but it's actually just a clone. Like that's kind of weird. Yeah, it but... would leave a weird taste in your mouth, honestly. Like, oh, it's yeah. cool. You're bringing in a clone that probably you would have never expected in the first place, right? Like. You know, if you're going to bring in a clone, bring in someone that we would have known from the Clone Wars by name, like, again, Rex, Wolf, Gregor, whomever. But still, it's just like, it, it would be really off-putting. Yeah. So then we move to Chapter 10, which I'm probably going to just gloss over. Not a lot happened. We had the passenger. We had the eggs. Uh, baby Yoda, uh, as we know him at this point, or the child, uh, eating eating the eggs, which is kind of weird just because that's like a sentient being's children that he's eating. Um, I think a full uproar with the fan community. I'll say that. <laughs> Apparently, I, I I saw like I didn't see much of people. I, mean, I don't think anyone actually got bad, but like yeah, yeah, people people were upset about that. Uh, I think the coolest thing in this episode was just the the spiders from Rebels. That was neat seeing those things in live action. They're a little different than how they appeared in Rebels, but I kind of wonder if that's because of well, it could be the planet. Like they just kind of evolved slightly differently on that planet, uh -huh. um, or it could be just like. You know the 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 male versus female spider things. I don't know, but either way, it was neat seeing them in uh, in live action. Um, and then our our first major cameo of many 
in The Mandalorian. Dave Filoni returns in his role as uh, a Republic Ranger. Um, I loved I loved them both, the both of the Republic Rangers. I thought they were just like great, kind like kind of comic relief, you know, like that whole sequence when Mando's coming to the planet and they're uh, they intercept him. And it's like, uh, hey, switch to channel three. And it's like, oh no. And then there's just silence. And then they they're <laughs> the they go into attack mode of the you know. Um I don't know, I just I love that whole sequence. It's like, oh, it's about to go down. Um But yeah, they they, they were great. I, I love the the comic relief of those characters. Yeah, um uh, so it was cool seeing Dave Filoni you know, do a cameo appearance as a as a rebel fighter. Uh or I guess you yeah, have New Republic fighter. Doesn't matter. Uh, but the whole thing with the eggs, I, I have to maybe clarify this. I could have sworn that the mother of those eggs had said something about like, these are like the last of, you know, my lineage kind of thing. Uh, so it's more about her immediate family because people were just having uproar like, oh no, like the baby's committing mass genocide. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't think that's what the mother said. Like, I think you guys oh, are taking yeah, this. No. I think you guys are really blowing this out of proportion. Granted, it's still a bad thing, but it's just like whoa, whoa, whoa! It's not as big of a scale as you think it is. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely. I feel like it's one of those filler episodes, um, and it has that that formula of the Mandalorian like needs to do something, or no, no needs to get somewhere, but needs to do something to, for, as a favor for someone so he can get like the end result kind of thing. And it feels like a quest in a video game kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, the spiders were cool. Uh, nod back to the Star Wars Rebels show. Uh, definitely creepier looking, I will say that. And it, you know, it definitely has kind of like picks at someone with arachnophobia. But the setup, though, for for the spiders in the cave really reminds me of the uh, Alien franchise. Because I just saw all these things on the ground and the child is just walking up to them. I'm like... Okay, I didn't know it was going to be the spiders from Rebels, but I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. There are way too many of these. It's framed like it was in the Alien movies. I know where this is going. I don't know how it's going to turn out exactly, but I know where this is going. And sure enough, my fears were realized when the first one opened. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. Yeah, it was, it was totally a nod to Alien. Uh, and yeah, it, it wasn't the most exciting episode. Uh, I think episodes like this, though, are, you know, as much as people don't like them necessarily they're also like they do drive the story forward in subtle ways like you know without this episode mando wouldn't have had his ship damage to go to the next episode which was great um but also like you kind of maybe want a break you know like if you're watching this all the way through you might want a break from you know the hardcore action uh and like heavy plot points and uh but but yeah it, it wasn't the most exciting episodes definitely like lower on my list uh, of favorite episodes on here um but that leads to also that episode i think it was called the passenger i kind of forgot <laughs> um, yeah it is yeah then chapter 11 the heiress i had no idea what to expect with this episode i was like oh that's what does that mean the heiress uh, and so i was completely caught off guard by bo katan like that was like Ahsoka later in the in the season, I was ready for that. I knew that was happening, uh, or figured it was just because of rumors. But I forgot that the actress for Bo Katan was uh, uh, listed for the Mandalorian like 
I think uh, quite a few months ago, she was. It was rumored that she was cast for the Mandalorian. And I was like, "Oh, that's cool," and then I forgot about it, and I never heard anything about it, and it, it left my mind. So when I saw it, I was like, "That's freaking Bo-Katan!" It was so cool, coming to save the day. And I think this episode, I love episodes like this because they clarify things that I feel like the Star Wars community or that Star Wars fans just they. Star Wars fans, let me tell you, Dom, I feel like this is just my opinion. This is a hardcore, just my opinion. Star Wars fans are terrible at looking below the surface level. Like, they take anything you throw at them. If if a character says something, it is gospel, you know. You, <laughs> they, they never think about the motivations behind why that character is saying that, what they mean by that. They just think these are the words that were spoken, so that must be the truth. So, I love how this episode clarified the whole helmet thing with the Mandalorians. So people can shut up about, Oh, well, how do they take their helmets off in Rebels? Do, 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 do. Like, just think! Like, one level deeper. Like, maybe Mando is a part of a separate group of Mandalorians that just have these set of rules. Like, it's, like we know that the Mandalorians have clans. There's Clan Ren, Clan Vizsla. Like, this is a known thing. Maybe this clan is just like, we can't remove our helmets. It's, and, and Bo-Katan clarifies that. She's so good, so amazing. I love her for it. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought it was, it was really cool because it, it elaborated on uh, Din Djarin a lot more because of, like, on the fact that, like, other Mandalorians can take off their helmets uh, and him kind of freaking out about that. Uh, but then, too, just the fact that, like, we learn more about, like, well, he's not, he's, like, he's a part of a, a essentially a cult, you know, an extremist group, uh, a very yeah. traditionalist group, which I, I, I think I've spoken to you about it. I speculate that this is essentially Death Watch 2.0. Like, the the last remnant of the true Death Watch that we saw in the Clone Wars. Except they've gone from, you know, where they were just trying to bring the warrior paths of Mandalore, and they've gone deeper into their their ideo uh, ideolo ideology and, and deeper into their, essentially, religion um, to the point to where they are like this extremist, even more of an extremist group than they were before. Um, that is just my speculation, though. But I, I love that we got we got more clarification on that, and Bo-Katan is just ah uh, so good. Yeah. So when they revealed Bo-Katan, I didn't catch it at first. I mean, obviously I knew it was her, but I didn't catch the parallel of how she was introduced because he was underneath that, mm -hmm. like the in that water tank with that fish thing. And um, and when she reaches out with her hand and he's looking up at her, uh, it's it's a mirror of how Death Watch saved him as a child that he's looking up and they're reaching down to him to pull him out. And I thought that was a nice nod back to his childhood. But yes, like you, I was really glad that they finally clarified the age old question, the whole helmet issue. Yeah. And I was like you in my own mind, we're just like, it has to be a clan thing. But I didn't realize it was more of this religious ideological level of, uh, you know, he's he's part of a tribe called uh, the, the Children of the Watch. And I, I feel like 
like you where it's probably an extension of death watch because i mean it has watch in the name but i feel like it's also its own unique thing that it, it might be something separate entirely uh just because of the zealot as aspect to it but it pulls me back to death watch because that big mandalorian guy I, I don't know what they call him, like a heavy trooper or something. His last name is Vizsla, and the clan name from Death Watch, the leader, was from Camp Clan Vizsla. I think his name was Pre Vizsla. Yeah. Uh, funny, funny enough, voiced by John Favreau himself, both yes, characters. Um, well, also, so this is going to add to my theory. Uh, he was saved by Death Watch. Like, mm -hmm. so he was a foundling because he was found by Death Watch, and he's part of a. A group called the Children of the Watch. So it sounds like it is the literally the spawn of Death Watch of the OG Death Watch. Mm -hmm. Like it's its own thing, but it's like, it, or it's the same thing, but it's like it's the next generation of Death Watch. It's like you know Death yeah. Watch carrying on their traditions to the next generation, um, who then were like, who were probably like, yeah. This is great. The Mandalorian, you know, religion and everything. We need to go deeper to to our roots, and then they became what they are now. Um, but I, I do like that parallel because he was saved by Death Watch, and that effectively started his new, you know, religion, his new lifestyle. And then in this one, like you said, the parallel, he was saved by Bo-Katan, who kind of educated him on like, oh, you're part of an extremist group. You just don't know it. And that was essentially like the seed, planting that seed of like Mando contemplating his entire life, which kind of get we get to later on in the season, you know? Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting that, you know, Bo-Katan comes from a clan, you know, Death Watch or her own clan, whatever you want to call it. And they're aware of other Mandalorian groups, even these extremists, you know, these zealots. But the Zealots themselves, they don't acknowledge that there are other Mandalorians out there. It's just their way. And it probably just serves their purpose of their ideology. Like, our way is the true way to Mandalorian. Everyone else is, like, heretics and whatnot and, you know, blasphemy on all of them kind of thing. But it's still such a surprise that's just like, dang, like, there are Mandalorians out there that just don't know. And yeah. And like you said, it, it was that seed of like self-doubt and growth of this character more than we'll see later on that, you know, he's going to question everything that he knows and it's just going to help him grow as an individual that there are, there's a bigger picture out there that he's not aware of yet. Yeah. And, and like, I think that whole, you know, th th he didn't know that there were other types of Mandalorians out there. Like, yeah, that, that serves the purpose of the, of that religion essentially and that parallels real life like if especially in an extremist group like you don't want them to know that there's other people and other beliefs out there because you don't want them to think they have that choice you want them to be devote followers uh to to this religion so like it makes sense that mando was never really taught about that he just kind of you know thought that this was the normal thing and this is the true because then you have somebody and we've seen this with Mando. He is a hardcore believer in the whole, like, helmet thing. Like, to the point of, like, he could have had a simple life. And he was like, no, I can't because you can't see me without my helmet. Or just, like, I mean, he almost botched the mission uh, in the 
in chapter 15 because he didn't want to take off his helmet. And then he was like, whatever, I got to do it. You know, like uh, he was so devout to this ideology. And so it makes sense that they were just like, you know, they wouldn't educate their uh, their children about other religions, <laughs> essentially. Um, but that leads to chapter 12. Oh, yeah. And then uh, we, we kind of get more... Um, one, we kind of see, like, how the Imperial Remnant is um, in terms of their devotion to the Empire to the point to where, like, the... I forgot his rank, but I'll just say captain of that ship. Um, you know, he killed the pilots and then ultimately killed himself to avoid being captured, you know? Oh, like the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, the I Imperial Remnant that. is just incredible. Like... They're worse than I think the Empire was during their rule over the galaxy, and I just I love that that look of uh, of the of, of the new Empire essentially. Um, and Bo-Katan's searching for the dark saber, so there's that, <laughs> um, which leads to the the next episode, which I'm really gonna skip over this because I this is my least favorite episode. Um, yeah, it wasn't that big except for like the one plot point at the very end of it yeah it, it didn't have any heavy plot points for the most part it was just kind of like another adventure thing um and overall like i was just kind of meh on it um i know a lot of people liked it so awesome if you did just personally wasn't my, my cup of tea um although we kind of get more context as to what moff gideon is doing which we kind of already knew but uh, cloning he's messing with cloning uh, we don't know why. We still don't know why. I think I know why, but technically we don't know why. Um, and that was kind of the major story beat in here. It's just like, oh, he's cloning. That's, you know, what what, what are you doing that for? Uh, but overall, I I, you know, I guess it was a fun action uh, episode, but nothing too groundbreaking in this one. No, uh, it's just basically them, you know, going to an Imperial Remnant uh, facility um, to get uh, what some piece of information or something like that. Or no, no, they want to just just blow it up. I think. Um, yeah. And then the clone, I, the whole clones thing, I think is you know something about Snoke because uh, I think someone pointed out that the music undertone is his theme song. Uh, I didn't catch it at first, but I'm like, oh, well, that's. That would be, you know, appropriate, I think, if this was definitely him or, you know, trying to work up to that point. Mm -hmm. uh, another exciting bit for me was at the very end of the episode, you know, turns out that the people that fixed uh, the Razor Crest in the beginning of this episode, that they were, you know, kind of like spies for the Empire from Moff Gideon. And uh, we, we see Moff Gideon in, in his ship somewhere and he's surrounded kind of like in this room or hallway full of these dark things and uh, my wife had pointed like oh are those like stormtroopers and I'm like oh no <laughs> did they finally do it and I'm like yeah I'm pretty sure they finally had introduced the dark trooper to like actual canon and the big screen and my wife didn't know what dark troopers were. And I told her, I'm like, they're basically machine stormtroopers, like droids, but there's mm -hmm. different phases of them. They're really dangerous. Um, I didn't, I don't know too much about their history. I just know of them, like they exist. And luckily we get more clarity on them later on in this series. But I'm like, if these are dark troopers, that's another nice thing they pulled out of Star Wars Legends 
they canonized it and sure enough they're deadly as we'll see later on yeah i i I too was like oh i wonder those are dark troopers i was like that would be really cool they're they're gen 3 dark troopers i guess to be more uh, precise Mm -hmm. so then we get to one of the biggest episodes of the season the one that i feel like anyone who's been kind of following the mandalorian in terms of maybe like rumors and leaks here and there have been looking forward to uh chapter 13 the jedi and uh i guess i forgot to mention also in chapter 11 with bo katan she's like go look for ahsoka tano so it was like hey you know we are getting ahsoka uh and that was just kind of a neat neat lead uh, a neat preview to what is to come which we see in chapter 13 and i was this whole time i've been wondering how they were going to reveal ahsoka and they just they went for it like immediately start of the episode ahsoka tano and um I I wasn't completely sold and uh, initially on live action Ahsoka. I still have my gripes with live action Ahsoka, but I think overall I'm okay with it. Um I think that the main thing is just like the voice because uh we have only really heard uh, Ashley Eckstein played Ahsoka. That's how we initially heard her like from her from the beginning and then all the way up until now so it's just kind of like it's a little jarring to hear somebody else's voice with that character um and but overall i think they did a good job with her um and so some kind of interesting developments about how like about the timeline that this episode may may have taken place before we last saw her in rebels which is interesting. Um, good old Dave Filoni doing the doing the things, but I think aside from Ahsoka, like the big reveal in this episode was the name of the child, which is say it with me, Grogu. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a weird name, but also Yoda's a weird name, and I I don't mind it at all. Uh, but yeah, it was it was cool it was seeing Ahsoka. Um, with her, with her theme music and everything, it was it was very touching. Is Roy coming? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say uh, say what you want, whatever you want, Dom. Yeah. So this was an episode that my wife and I had been looking forward to ever since they had mentioned her name in the last episode, and you know we're big fans of the Ahsoka Tano character, um, just because. I essentially grew up with her since Clone Wars and I actually didn't mind her right off the bat in that uh, Clone Wars movie. Um, and she's definitely grown as a fan favorite over the years. The, her character development has really grown in the Clone Wars series. And then when they revealed her in Star Wars Rebels, I don't even think there was a rumor out there that this was going to, you know, that Ahsoka was going to be in that show. But it's still, it goes to show the audience and any other viewers that this is a cherished character like she is really loved by the by the community um and the when we finally got to see her in live action like it was a great like thing to to cheer for but like you i was kind of underwhelmed by the overall performance uh like you i feel that ahsoka the character is synonymous with the voice actress ashley Eckstein, and but with that being said, I also don't feel that Ashley fits the physique role 
physical role of Ahsoka Tano, just because in portrayal, she seems to be really tall and whatnot. And, you know, Ashley isn't that tall of a person, I don't think. I think she's more like, what, 5'5", five, five, give or take. And Rosario Dawson is significantly taller than her. So I felt like physique-wise, Rosario fits it. But voice-wise, it's Ashley. It's, you, you can't win at, at this point, in my mind. It doesn't matter. Uh, there's going to yeah. be problems either way. Well, I think but, it also just comes down to, like, acting. Like, I don't know how much acting experience Ashley has, uh, which, like, I legitimately, I just don't know. But if she doesn't have a lot of acting experience, then perhaps uh, Rosario was a better choice because of her acting experience. Right. Um, and so I think that was probably a large reason. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, to answer your question, like, how much acting 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 has Ashley done it's not that much from what I've seen she, apparently she had a minor role in the uh, that's so Raven D TV series back in the day I had no idea um, <laughs> and then uh, my wife she was doing a binge on that show since now it's on Disney plus she's like look babe look look it's Ash it's actually excellent I'm like oh damn like she's she's actually she's she's been acting like since then <laughs> and then she had another uh, role in a uh, Amanda Bynes, uh, like rom-com movie, uh, shoot, I forgot what it was called, but anyway, she, she has, she's had acting roles over the years, but mm -hmm. she's more notorious for her voice acting yeah. and, but anyway, uh, feel like I went off a little bit on a tangent there. Uh, but yeah, so Rosario, Rosario Dawson, uh, I think overall she understands the character. Like I, I hope she's done her, her homework and research of like what the character has been through to kind of like you know really project that outward mm -hmm. um but then the episode itself apparently it does some nice nods to like uh classic like japanese films mm -hmm. uh like there's two shots that were reminiscent of a, of a particular japanese film and i thought that was cool you know just like acknowledge history and whatnot and i mean that's what george lucas did anyway uh so well uh, another thing I wasn't entirely blown away by was the lightsaber fight or sword fight with the the, the woman of, of that town or whatever her name would be. Mm -hmm. uh, I just felt it was just like it was so underwhelming. And I'm like, how how can Ahsoka be taken aback by this woman? She, the woman doesn't even, you know, doesn't even put up much of a fight like visually. How is how is uh, Ahsoka like, you know? having trouble here and then two the shots themselves weren't that appealing to me i'm like come on like even the new sequel trilogy had better lightsaber fights than this and that's saying something and um i don't know i i was just not having a, a fun time with that and i think it's probably because of the headgear that rosario had to wear like it was really limiting for her on her movement but I'm like, at that point, you might as well have done something CGI related. That way, she, her movement could have been more fluid. And I would have been okay with that. Uh, but overall, it wasn't that big of a... It, it, it wasn't a big hit for me as a show. But for Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, I'm okay with it like you. Let's let's see what happens in the future with the character and, and the betrayal. But yeah, that's, I'll kind of like leave it at that. Yeah, we'll have to see how, how you know, the Ahsoka series is and um but yeah i think that'll kind of determine like my final thoughts on uh on live action ahsoka um and then we, we we get like the big 
kind of big reveal, not really reveal, but like that she's searching for Thrawn and that's why she was there. Uh, so we know that she's still on that quest and I think that was a nice tie-in to Rebels and like what she's been doing since the main portion of Rebels, you know? Yeah. Um, next episode. So this is when we get to like, I think some of, I don't know. I, I, I love, I love season two, I think a lot, but like these next episodes, I feel like were really good to me for like different reasons. Um, and we'll try and get through them really quick so we can get to the finale. Uh, so we don't take up too much time. Uh, but the tragedy you, you th this I think was one of the shortest episodes of the season is only like 30 something minutes long. Um, and but when you start off with the tragedy it's like oh no what's gonna happen and th this episode just gets like right into the action um with you know grogu sitting on the stone and then you boba's like or not boba Woo! uh <laughs> mando is like oh what's that and you just see and hear the slave one uh just like far away and i was like oh we're finally getting boba fett and it was Boba Fett. And it was so freaking cool. Um, I I love Timur Morrison a lot. Um, and so bringing him back as Boba Fett was such such a treat. And the fact that he, so far, has actually played more than just a minor role. Like, he was more than just a one-episode cameo. Um, I that thought was it was really cool. That was my fear. That was my fear that it was just going to be a tease. And then that's it. I'm like, really? Come on. Yeah. It, it would have felt to me like, because uh, I feel like overall, like one of my fears with, with season two is that it has been relying too much on, on, on the member berries, you know, too much on, Hey, you remember this character, right? You remember this character, you remember this character, like all these characters that we know and love being brought in. And I worry that that has been the reason why, Season two has been really good, but then I also feel like season one didn't really have any of that, and it was still amazing. So we know that the Mandalorian as a show can stand on its own, um, and also like at the end of the day, if we're having a good time with the show, does it really matter if we like it because of one reason or another? Uh, but anyways, seeing Boba Fett was awesome. Um, you know, he wants his armor back, understandably, and Mando's like, "Nah, get out of here. You, you can't have it." <laughs> And uh, then Moff Gideon crashes the party and Boba takes that opportunity to be like, oh, I'm going to go get my armor from the Razor Crest. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I love just seeing Boba Fett back in action. I thought it was, it was really cool. Um, even if the armor or even if Timur Morrison maybe doesn't fit in the armor as well as the uh, original actor, rest in peace, um, did. But it was still really cool to see Boba Fett. Boba Fat, as the internet calls him. Uh, I don't know that he's fat. I saw something. I don't know how true it is about like Tamir Morrison and like he's actually like really in shape. But I don't know why the I, armor. I feel. I feel like it's the robe he's wearing. Like yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, ever since this episode, I don't know why he doesn't just change out of it. Uh, but I feel like it's because of the robe, and robes are pretty thick, so that's probably why he looks a little bit more chunky. Uh, but he still has good movement in it, as we can see in the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I was... I didn't realize that this was going to be the episode that Boba was really going to shine. And 
So I was really excited about this episode from the get-go. So in the previous episode where Ahsoka is like messing with Gro uh you know, trying trying to like see Grogu's like aptitude um, in the forest and whatnot, and she tells uh Din to go take him to an ancient temple on Tython. Immediately I was excited because they pulled in another thing from Legends. And for those of you that don't know, Tython was at least in the expanded universe, that was like the original uh, planet that the Jedi were founded. It was where the Force was discovered. And it was like thousands and thousands of years before even the Republic was founded. I think it was like 20,000, 20, 30,000 years before like episode one. So this just goes to show you like how far back its potential history can go in the new canon. But anyway, so they go to Tython and there's not much to look at. But like you, when we hear that sound of the slave one, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's coming in. It's freaking amazing, right? And then he shows up. And then he's not even alone. He's with the other men, uh, not men, Fennec. the other, uh, yeah, Fennec, the uh, Ming-Na Wen's character from the first season who we thought was left for dead. And But then someone walks up to her body and then it's kind of confirmed that it was Boba Fett that walked up, but we only see his boots kind of thing. Yeah, um, like that, that was a major kind of cliffhanger. Like we didn't know who, like people assumed it was Gideon, but then like they never really made that connection. And so it was always just like, who who is that like there was the initial speculation that it was boba fett because it had the clinking sound of his boots which i think was intentional and i think that was supposed to be that connection for uh, to give us a clue but we never really knew and it was cool to get that confirmation in this episode yeah and then but like how he actually revives her is still not entirely clear to me like there's mechanical parts in her abdomen but i'm like yeah so is, she, is she like a full-on droid now or or what the hell went with that like how did he pull that off yeah uh, i wonder if it's just like a really futurist <laughs> star warsy futuristic uh i don't know if you want to say prosthetic but like mechanical patch you know that might be like because we know in star wars there's bacta and bacta is like really good at healing people like like really good uh, and like repairing wounds and stuff, so maybe it could just be like a bacta, um, almost like uh, like those pumps. Um, like if you have, this is kind of random, but if uh, some individuals with diabetes, they can have like a pump that just injects insulin directly into them, and it's just like, I feel like it's something like that, where it's just injecting bacta into her. Um, so I don't know. It it was kind of weird though, but I I didn't really focus too much on that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was just like a side thing that like you really think about it's like, wait a minute, how, how did that work? But anyway, uh, but yeah, and then Boba Fett, when he comes in on his jetpack, you know, he first, you know, releases a bomb and then he does his whole action sequence. I'm like, oh my gosh. And this is when I, I texted you after the episode. I'm like, he's been redeemed. Like, this yeah. is the Boba Fett that we should have seen in the original trilogy. Oh my gosh, he was such a badass. Like, he handled his own without trouble oh my gosh stormtrooper after stormtrooper just like wailing on them even without his armor with the with the with that gaff stick or whatever it's called like the he handles stick. his own he is a dangerous individual with or without his armor yeah and the one thing that really surprised me was his knee rockets oh my gosh <laughs> yeah finally we get to see what the spark plugs actually do on his knees because like I've always wondered that because, you know, Dom and I, you, you and I are in the, we're, you're actually in the cosplay community. I'm like outside looking into the cosplay community and I always see with Mandalorians how there's the, 
I don't know if they're actually spark plugs. I, I, whenever I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, those look like spark plugs. Um, just on the the knees, and it's like, what are those for? Like to me, it's just like, oh yeah, they're just like greeblies. It's just like random details because space and Star Wars. Um, but it, it was funny to see them actually used. It's like, oh, they have a function. Great, and we got to see that function. Um, and yeah, man, J- Boba goes ham with the gaffy stick, and uh, like. It was neat to see the the damage that that thing can actually do, you know. Uh, one like one of my favorite things about the Mandalorian is just the fact that we're seeing all of these little, all these little trinkets, all these little things that we've seen throughout the movies. Uh, but they're just kind of like background elements, and it's just like world building, and you don't really think much of them. But now we actually get to see them do things and see them in action, uh, like the the knee rockets, uh, like the gaffy stick, uh, all that stuff. So it, it was it was awesome seeing Boba in action but arguably the biggest thing again to shut the star wars community up for once is the fact that Django is a mandalorian he was a foundling confirmed my theory is correct and also suck it everybody who's like Django's not a mandalorian because almec said it even though almec was a traitor to mandalore and so he probably had his own motives and obviously the way he said it implied that he didn't like Django. so of course he's gonna say something to make Django seem less relevant y'all need to look below the surface layer i'm telling you and there's there's one more thing about that surface layer that i'm gonna get to with the finale episode but rant number two about just look Read the subtext. Go the, the undertones. Read between the lines. Okay? Django's a Mandalorian. Y'all can suck it, okay? <laughs> we were right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I think that was something that, uh, I mean, Boba kept repeating, like, oh, you know, that the armor belongs to me, belonged to my father, you know, Django, blah, 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 blah. But the fact that, you know, you can actually bind it to an individual, so to speak, you know, in its codex or whatever and Mandor or whatever the hell the language was mm-hmm. uh, people someone translated it and yeah it confirmed that he was a failing his mentor was jast maybe it was just an incomplete translation because i you know the the language actually just kind of yeah, like it was fades away. Like shorthand for jaster yeah so it's just like jaster Muriel. another thing that i was excited about you know that was his mentor in the uh expanded universe stuff and uh yeah, I was I was happy to that they finally confirmed that he's a Mandalorian. Uh, I felt that it was kind of like a disservice to the character when George Lucas came out. I don't know if it was an interview or something. It was revealed somewhere during the making of Clone Wars that George Lucas wanted to go back on the idea of him being a Mandalorian. Just like, how about we make him not a Mandalorian? And yeah. I'm just like, oh, come on, man. Which I feel like this still kind of keeps on track with that theme. Because he's a Mandalorian, but like Din Djarin, he's not a, a native Mandalorian like Bo-Katan. You know, he's a foundling. He was initiated. He was brought into the Mandalorian culture. Which, even so, fits with what we saw in Legends with the... Um, uh, oh, what was the comic book? It was Hunting Season or... Uh... Open season. Open season, yeah. Open season comics. Uh, which we saw that anyways with Django, that he was a foundling. So I think it keeps with that theme. But I, yeah, I agree. It was kind of just like, if that stayed, the fact that he wasn't even a foundling, that he was just some guy who got the armor, that was a huge disservice to to Django. Um, but also, like, this, 
has kind of left me thinking about Django's armor and about how in the Clone Wars, uh, we saw that Boba destroyed Django's helmet trying to assassinate Mace Windu. Um, and I have the theory that Boba's armor is Django's old armor that he used during the Mandalorian Civil War. Um, and like again, what kind of reinforces that? And I, I don't know if it's in the open season comic or in another one, but it shows Django during that time and his armor is green and red. It is that same color scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like what he did was he had that armor, which presumably is maybe not pure Beskar, but is some form of Beskar. I don't know. Um, I think the, the the level below below it's called Dura Steel. Well, no, no. So I think it's 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 like Beskar, but then uh, because Beskar presumably would probably weigh a lot, um, he switched to Dura Steel, which in you know IRL terms would be just like steel or you know uh some other type of common metal uh and that's what he's wearing in attack of the clones it's just durasteel armor because it's probably lighter and he's a bounty hunter so he he's not like out fighting you know one against skilled warriors like other mandalorians where having impenetrable armor would be kind of nice because uh, he's just fighting against like stupid common criminals um so he he probably it was probably just like two different sets of armor um and i wonder if maybe we'll kind of get more clarification on that because i feel like it's still one of those like unsolved plot holes of star wars in terms of like well if Django, if boba's wearing Django's armor but Django's helmet was destroyed like where do you get the helmet where do you get the helmet from yeah uh and so i i i imagine uh he just ended up finding Django's uh Django's old mandalorian civil war armor but anyways yeah, that that was that was that was neat. Uh, people translating that. I I don't know if it. I want to believe that that is the actual translation, but then there's like the skeptic in me that's like, but did maybe they just did that just to you know, you know, like they didn't actually translate it. They just did it because internet points. <laughs> I don't know if other people can confirm it, but so there's actually a, a Mandoa language that there's right. an alphabet and whatnot. So people actually did, it, and I saw the. Okay. And I saw the side by side comparison, so I'm okay. pretty sure it's accurate. Cool. I just, I just feel like it's, I, I feel like it'd be kind of weird if someone were to say from the official story group that would been like, oh yeah, that's the official translation, blah blah blah. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was just like, but wait a minute, like, but the the, the text kind of like trails off, like it's fading out. Like clearly there has to be more because if if his mentor in this was just Jast with an E at the end and there's no mm-hmm. R, why not just call him Jaster to begin with, right? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like kind of weird. That's just me being nitpicky. But I do like the through the Mandalorian. They've I don't know if it was introduced in the Mandalorian or if it's been introduced in any other Star Wars medium. But the the chain code, I love that. It like basically like I I equate it to in the United States our like social security number. <laughs> you know, <It's> just like <laughs> your unique identifier of who you are. Um, laid out in you know i guess in this case it's not just numbers but uh it's like it's your id you know it is literally your id uh your galaxy-wide identification so i I just i love that because it's another one of those like minor world building tools that just gives you more context for the star wars universe and it's just really cool it's simple but it's neat the idea of the the chain code 
Yeah, um, I don't think it was introduced into anything else. I don't even know about comic books. I'm not mm-hmm. too big into that medium, but I, I think this is the first time we've seen it. Yeah. Uh, but what's all awesome is, you know, uh, Boba Fett's like, I will help you, um, you know, uh, until the child is safely in your hands, I will, you know, help you or whatever. Um, which is really cool. And I think adds to like Boba's character that he's not just uh, this you know bounty hunter he's actually like i mean he was raised by Django, who you know was raised by you know as far as we know like the mandalorian uh kind of code you know their their rules their ideology um and so it's cool to see him like kind of follow through with that and be like no i'm gonna help you because i you know i said i would help you and it's not done yet so uh just a neat like point of boba's character yeah, uh, that it, it shows me that he's like yeah, man of honor, which is which is a good thing overall. You know, he's not yeah. just this 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 ruthless scumbag. <laughs> yeah, it, good character building for a character that didn't have a lot of that in uh, in the movies. Uh, that leads to chapter fifteen, the believer, which uh, I I I don't know why I really like this episode for some random reason. Um, I I love episodes like this that again add to the Star Wars universe and are just like. You know, we see a different side to the Empire than just the the soldiers trying to take out the Rebellion. Like, this is like a, this mining outpost. And so we see these, what are effectively like modified mud troopers with the tank pilot helmets, um, which was kind of neat. Uh, and we got uh, Bill Burr for another episode in, in a more prominent role, I would argue. And yeah, it was... One of the neat things in this episode was Mando kind of getting wrecked by the pirates because he didn't have... Like, he's so used to his impenetrable Beskar armor that now that he's wearing this, like, what is essentially just Stormtrooper armor, you know, he's not he's not used to it. And so he's, like, trying to take these hits that the armor can't take. And he's getting beat up. And I thought it was really cool kind of seeing that... Or I guess more acknowledging the fact that, you know, yeah, he has this Iron Man armor... And it has kind of made him worse in some areas, you know, um, like, yes, he's overpowered. And then like, yeah, we're going to show that uh, he's faulty for that. So I thought it was, it was really neat kind of seeing him getting beat up by those uh, the pirates. Um, and what else? Just that that whole mining facility with the. The storm, the fact that like they're coming in, they're like the the last tank coming in, and everyone's in there just cheering for them. Like, man, it, they must not have a lot of shipments that come in. <laughs> you know, it's like apparently they get blown up a lot, and so when one actually successfully makes it, it's a big deal. But I, I like the whole the whole infiltration aspect of this episode, uh, and the kind of big moment of you know mando needs to take off his helmet to go do the the scan thing because uh otherwise one of the officers will like recognize him or something because he served under them um and, and so like that that was kind of a big moment An- another area where we see uh pedro pascal's beautiful face um <laughs> as the mandalorian <laughs> and uh i i think my favorite part of this episode though was definitely the where they're sitting down at the table with the with the officer, this really creepy officer. Like this dude's kind of uh, uh, he he gave me very negative vibes, <laughs> and 
talking about Operation Cinder and the fact that Bill Burr's character was in the Empire at the time and talking about how, like, you know, Operation Cinder was basically uh, Palpatine's plan to destroy the Empire after his death. Um, it was just, like, leaving the galaxy in turmoil and uh, uh, kind of, like, the taking out the... I heard somebody say it was, like, an analogy of in like chess when you take out the king or something uh, and it's like the entire kingdom falls or something um and, and bill burr just talking about like how he was uh, serving during that time and like all of his friends died like all all the people that he knew died because the empire decided to do this thing under like the you know these people's command and this guy's like long live the empire you know like that's just that's what we have to do. And when the people, uh, like we left the galaxy in turmoil. So that way, because people really just want order. So when we come back, people will welcome us with open arms, you know? Uh, and then Bill Burr just has none of it and kills him. And then, uh, ensue the, uh, the following action. But I, I don't know why I, I, I like this episode because it wasn't, it had the action at the end. I guess it had the fight in the middle, but it was just more of that, like, building these characters uh, and seeing more, like, this other side of the Empire, and I, I really enjoyed that personally. Yeah, it was definitely a more action-packed episode, and it was definitely a chance for growth, not just for Din Djarin, but also for that, uh, that guy Mayfield, uh, you know, because he does actually care about people you know i guess to a degree because he i guess he was like a bounty hunter in the last season uh but yeah that that uh the imperial officer forgot the name of the actor but that guy is notorious for playing like these bad creepy roles and like my first time seeing him was in that uh movie adaptation of doom uh, with the rock he was in there he was a like one of the good guys per se but he had like a, a a shady past um but yeah you know that just goes to show you that there are some people who do take the empire like to the extreme like you know it's all about the empire people are you know the the troops are just pawns in a bigger game so to speak um but yeah having you know din jarm without his helmets you know it just it was that that mind that that man versus self moment where you know is he gonna let an ideology keep him from like completing the mission or even like you know it could potentially have resulted in their death if he just didn't go along with the role um and then at the very end you know after that shootout mayfield it's like you know he had to do what he had to do kind of thing and i'm like i didn't see you without your helmet you know i don't i don't know your face so like he keeps mando's secret um, yeah, and they killed everybody in there who may have seen Mando without his helmet. So it was just, it was just Mayfield that you know saw it. So it was like, oh, yeah, everyone else is dead. <laughs> yep. And then another exciting point for me, just a, a nod back to Attack of the Clones, was uh, Boba Fett had to save them uh, at the very end, and you know they get on the ship, and then two Tie Fighters are after the ship. And he uses the seismic charge to blow him up, and I'm like, mm, music to my ears. <laughs> yes, not not another one of them member berries, but also I love membering it, so it was it was good. Uh, I love the, <laughs> the seismic charge. It's like, yes, we get to hear that glorious sound again. Actually, this episode also kind of clarified how the hell does Slave One work as a ship? 
because when it because when it flies, it's vertical. Yeah. Uh, but it, when it lands, it's on its backside. So it's just like, how do people actually walk in that thing? So like, and- I, I I tried to do a lot of research on this afterwards because I was curious. So I I read somewhere I couldn't find the clip, but apparently something like this was already shown in Clone Wars. I could be wrong on that. That could be very wrong. I don't know when it was. Um, but also like, yeah, it, um, I I agree. It was really cool seeing it like the essentially like the cargo bay. Uh, turning and apparently i think this is more of a legends thing but because in, in attack of the clones boba climbs into the slave one and he is uh you know the cockpit is is fixed so he's like kind of looking upwards when he's trying to shoot obi-wan on camino uh-huh. um apparently Django either modified it or it originally came stock where the cockpit was fixed but the cargo bay uh, was on a gimbal, so it turned. So obviously your cargo wouldn't, you know, fly all, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then Boba later modified it so that the whole cabin uh, can turn. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how true that is or how that, you know, the implications of that in canon, but it, it was cool to see. Just kind of like, oh, yeah, that that's how that works. You know, makes sense, I guess. Yeah, because the only other thing I've seen where you can actually go inside uh the ship isn't the bounty hunter video game but you really don't go in that far into the ship it's like the platform and then it's like this really narrow hallway and then that's it uh but it still kind of leaves the impression that when you fly you're not going to be comfortable as a passenger if you're in the cargo bay yeah uh, so seeing on the interior was like a mind-blowing thing and honestly if they're going to show people inside the the ship they had to have figured out okay what's going to be really practical for this ship for its crew and i'm glad they addressed it honestly that's just me um but overall i really liked the episode yeah no it it was it was good and then that leads to the final chapter 16 the rescue which was a lot kind of um let's see so this has the most notes just because you saw it fairly recently um Boba starting fights in the beginning with uh, Bo-Katan and um, Sasha Banks' character, who I forgot her name. Um, But that was... uh, Again, just... The sound of Tamir Morrison's voice under a helmet is... I don't know why, it's just it's music to my ears. So that whole scene with him just like... uh, Kind of being very confrontational about like... You know, this was my father's armor and all this other stuff. It was, it was great. But I also feel like this is gonna start another. This is rant number three, by the way. Just heads up, uh, another controversy in the Star Wars community about who's a Mandalorian and who's not. And let's clear some things up. So, so Bo-Katan says uh, that Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian. Here's why. I think, anyways. Just, just my opinion and my theory. So, I, I rewatched that scene a few times. So, she only says that after he talks, right? She doesn't know anything about him until he speaks, until he, she hears his voice. And there's this look on her face as she, like, looks up with this realization, like, wait a minute. And then that's when she says, you're not a Mandalorian. And like you're, uh, you, you, what did she say? She's like, you bring disgrace to that armor or yeah, so, so she's, that armor. Yeah. She says, so you're not a Mandalorian. And Bubba was like, you know, never said I was. 
uh and then um they they talk a little bit and uh bo katan talks about her plan to you know regain mandalore and then boba fett's like you gotta be kidding me like the empire turned mandalore into glass um and then that's when she goes you're disgraced to that armor um to the armor you wear and then he says uh like be careful this was my father's armor and then she goes you mean your donor (laughs) and then and then she follows up uh, (laughs) well she follows up with that like uh you're a clone i've heard your voice dozens of times um and that is her reason for why boba fett is not a mandalorian because she she knows that voice like from the clone wars like she fought with so many clones and the clones who ultimately kind of turned evil and probably helped destroy mandalore um so she probably resents clone troopers now but anyways she's heard that voice a dozen times so when she hears boba fett talk for the first time she's like i know that voice you're a clone you're not a mandalorian so when she says boba's not a mandalorian she's not saying it because she knows it's boba fett she's saying it because all she hears is the voice of a clone and so she just thinks that he is he she probably just thinks that he's a clone trooper who's wearing mandalorian armor ergo he's not a mandalorian you know she never implies that she knows who boba fett is where boba fett comes from everything she says in that scene is alluding to the fact that boba is a clone and in her mind a clone trooper right Mm -hmm. um because like she may not have known who boba fett was i mean she's been on this quest her entire life to take control of mandalore and lead mandalore she probably doesn't know who this great bounty hunter boba fett is you know and even if she heard the name she probably didn't know that he was a a genetic copy of jango fett like that like we know that as the audience but in that galaxy that's probably not common knowledge that boba fett is a clone right people probably just don't know or don't care for even like to push that even further is that you know people even if they would have known that he's a clone the only really idea of clones that they know of is the grand army of the republic and they all have you know advanced aging and whatnot Mm -hmm. so it's like they're gonna think that he's gonna be pretty old and i only a select few would know that boba is the exception that he is a pure genetic copy of Django, where he has no aging no enhancements it's just just basically his offspring so to speak but yeah um you know again not a lot of people would know that fact that i don't think and i would also argue that most people in the galaxy wouldn't know about the accelerated aging either like why why would people know that why would they care you know that that wouldn't be common knowledge that you know these clones have been accelerated you know have age acceleration like people just people wouldn't really think about it or really wouldn't care right like just because we know it doesn't mean that the characters in the universe know it I say that, but I would also say that, like, yeah, the the idea that Boba Fett isn't a Mandalorian, yeah, that's probably true, because he's not. He's not technically a foundling. Like, he was raised by Jango, but, like, Jango also seemingly split off from the Mandalorians in that way, you know? So, but it, but it was revealed that, you know, he told Boba of his past. You know, he knew that he was a Mandalorian. Right. He knew he was an offspring. He was trained by jango fed and pretty well too so like in that clone wars episode with the cadets you know he was able to hit those targets every time and you know he had superior training so just like just because he's a clone he ain't no average clone he no. was trained by the 
best. Well, and I think like he was raised with the Mandalorian kind of ways and teachings and skill, but it's he didn't kind adopt of, that. Yeah, but it's like that doesn't necessarily mean you can put him in that class, you know, um, just because of like he's not a part of a clan, he's not a part of this, that, or the other. But either way, I just needed to clear that up because I don't think people are reading that correctly. Anyways, that's my rant number number three. I guess there's <laughs> technically going to be a number four, but it's like it. I don't have a lot of evidence to back up number four, so it's just going to be my more of my opinion. Oh, well, bring up number four. I'm ready to hear it. No, it's at the end. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, so then, then we, we move on, and we, we get on the Moff Gideon ship. We see the Dark Troopers kind of in action, kind of interesting how they... Um, well, actually, in the beginning of the episode... They take over one of the Lambda class shuttles. And another interesting thing about, you know, kind of building the Empire here is the fact that they're talking about the Death Star. Like, this pilot, he's like, I served on the Death Star. And he's like, do you know how many people died on those stations? And he's like, Alderaan was a small price to pay. And it really gives you that view. And this kind of, like, untouched subject in Star Wars, which is the fact that, like, yo, there were a lot of people. A lot of, like average people that just died on the death stars both of them like mm -hmm. they were enlisted troops they weren't clones they weren't droids they weren't first order stormtroopers that were like raised to you know follow this thing they were people like you and me who enlisted in the military essentially and they died like that's kind of a big deal like, you can understand how the Empire really sees the Rebellion as terrorists. And how a lot of people in the galaxy probably see the Rebellion as terrorists. Because, like, like imagine, take that into real-world context. If we had... I mean, look at history. Look at, like, Pearl Harbor, right? Look at all these other uh, travesties in, in history. Uh, not just in the U.S., but in other countries. And it's like, you view these people as terrorists. Because they killed people that, you know, were... I guess technically like on your side in air quotes, you know, like that, that's not, it's not a small thing. And I like how they went into that about how like, yeah, there were a lot of people that died on there. Like you, you terrorists, like, you know, we destroyed one of your planets and that's a small price to pay for the amount of damage that you did, you know? Uh, so anyways, moving on. And uh, so we see the dark troopers. And I like how there's the, the thing about how they, they take a few minutes to load up. It's not just instant. And they also take too much power to just be, like, on all the time. Uh, very convenient. But anyways. And we see Mando get his head bashed in. That was... That really showed, like, the strength of Beskar. Even I was very impressed with how strong Beskar is. Because, like, Dom, I texted you about, like, how Besk how I think Beskar works. <laughs> After you... You text me randomly one day about, like, I have a question. <laughs> like, how how does how can Beskar do this if that? I forgot the actual question, but... And I explained why I think it does. But I was surprised to see, like, how physically strong Beskar is. Uh, and also, I find it funny that the Dark Troopers, like, main action is just to punch things. Like, that's most of what they did in this episode. There's, like, punch over and over and over again uh, but it, it was cool to see them I think they were very underutilized but I'm okay with it it's whatever you know 
they did come back later in the episode, but I still think even then they were very underutilized and were just kind of cannon fodder uh, for a very special character. Um, overall, I like this episode though a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, because then uh, we get to Boba, not Boba, sorry, Mando fighting Moff Gideon, which was neat. We kind of knew it was coming, like th- this big, I mean, Boba got, damn it, Mando, not Boba. I have Boba Fett on my mind, okay? I'm excited for Boba Fett. Um, but Mando got the spear, and so we, we were like, he has to use it sometime in this season, and it led up to the fight with Moff Gideon, uh, which was which was cool. Uh, like that, that, that actual like face to face confrontation with Moff Gideon and him kind of explaining his, his motivations kind of, not really, but he's just like, I can feel the connection between you. I got what I want. I got his blood. That's it. And, uh, like at this point, Moff Gideon kind of seems to just want the dark saber. Like that's his main thing. Like he got the thing that he wanted from Grogu. That's it. Um, but then... Uh, ultimately stabbing Mando or trying to stab Mando in the back and it not working too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, led up to the fight. Mando gets the Darksaber, which is awesome. We're cheering. We're like, hey, yes, he has the Darksaber. But Bo-Katan is like, he has what? <laughs> How, you have you have the thing. You have my thing. Um, and, and really going into this idea that like the Darksaber, like, it's more than just about the physical object. It is about the story. It's about the symbol. So Bo-Katan cannot simply just like take the Darksaber because Mando was like, nah, here, take it. Uh, she has to beat him in combat. Uh, not kill, because obviously he didn't kill him off Gideon and he still got it and that apparently still follows the the thing. But uh, like they have to actually fight to get the Darksaber. And that's kind of just left up in the air by the end of the episode. So probably season three stuff. Um, then the biggest thing the biggest thing the single X-Wing a single X-Wing fighter who could that be <laughs> hmm our boy Luke Skywalker in the flesh saving the day chopping down dark troopers so good I I was very shocked I'm not going to lie I didn't think they were going to do it I didn't think they were going to bring Luke Skywalker in I know people were speculating about that. I was like, no, no, that, that would be very difficult to do. I don't see them doing that. I was very wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong. That's your turn, Dom. <laughs> I was like, hey, is he going to say more? Uh, so let me let, let me uh, let me start from the beginning of the episode then. Um, but yeah, I was really really excited to, to see that they were going to, you know, bring back Bo-Katan and one of the other Mandos. I, sadly, it was not all three of them, but it's still, it's still pretty cool. And then the little fight sequence between Boba and the, and the other chick was pretty neat. You know, they could really hold their own. Like, it just goes to show you that, yeah, Boba, Boba's a badass, but, you know, these other Mandos, you know, don't take them lightly in general. Um, and then my wife was really excited that the whole gang was brought in. Um, it, it would have been more cool for me if they would have had the third Mando guy in there and then even like Cobb Vanth. They, they would have ranked him into this. Uh, like that would have been pretty cool. Like, hey, you helped me with this towel. Let me help you now with the child kind of thing. Um, but yeah, then they go uh, save the child. And the whole fight fight sequence, like 
Moff Gideon ain't no pushover. You know, he clearly knows how to handle her. Excuse me, his own with with a weapon, even the dark saber. Um, and I could have, sw- I had a feeling that he was gonna cut through the best car pole or spear just because like it was really heating up. And I'm like, man, like that would have really knocked Din off his ground, so to speak. But it didn't happen. Uh, but I didn't realize that. Yeah, you know, you have to win the blade in combat to officially like have that title or the ownership of the blade. Um, so it, it's really going to be an interesting dynamic between Bogaton and Din going forward. And like, is that going to mean that he's going to be the new Mandalore going forward? I know that was always a theory since like season one. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm also like, I, if, if he doesn't turn out to be the new Mandalore, like it ain't going to kill me. Like I would prefer to see uh, Bogaton or even Boba Fett. Cause that's what he was in the expanding universe. Ultimately he became the new Mandalore. Um, and I feel like it would be an interesting growth for the character because he comes from like a very simple background to being now this like head honcho, right? Uh, from, from, from nothing to like being a, a something, Mm -hmm. uh, but that I'll go on this tangent, uh, with this dark saber later. Uh, but yeah, then when we see Luke Skywalker, and I wasn't convinced it was him. I'm like, who the hell is flying an X-Wing? Like a random X-Wing, right? Mm-hmm. But then when we see the black robe in the hood, I'm like, oh, it's got to be Luke Skywalker. And then we see like the one, one-handed one glove kind of thing. And I'm like, yep, it's it's Luke. It's definitely Luke. And he handled his own. And another mirror image. It, it was a nice nod back to Darth Vader's opening fight in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, this is like a, a powerful moment and he just took out all the the dark troopers and it was pretty cool and then they cgi you know luke's face onto the individual which i thought was cool uh and i think they did kind of a better job kind of not uh <laughs> I, I think don't know. it looked acceptable I, I i went back and watched it actually before this this podcast and you know there is a little bit of that uncanny valley like it just looks slight like just a little lifeless for some reason yeah. but i think like i think it's overall it's okay you know um it's not a big deal i'm not gonna lose sleep over it like just the idea of this being luke skywalker i think is enough for me but yeah uh hopefully if we see luke more which i don't know maybe part of me kind of hopes we don't but if we do uh i hope they they don't do the face replacement they just go with an actual person yeah you know i guess we just have to see i'm not entirely convinced that luke will come back we'll probably see grogu again because he ultimately leaves with with skywalker uh but that whole that that scene that moment was so emotional uh you know that he says goodbye to the kid and the kid touches his the helmet i'm like watch he's gonna take off the helmet he wants the kid to know his face so if he ever Mm -hmm. sees him again one day and sure enough, he takes off the helmet. I'm like, there it is. There's the emotion. There, there's the crying. And I didn't cry, a- <laughs> but, I, but it was emotional for sure. I felt the tears. And this is a big deal for like quite a few reasons. Um, like, obviously, yeah, Grogu finally seeing his face is awesome. But also, like, I feel like this is Din Djarin finally, not, maybe not fully, but kind of definitely starting that walk down the path of rejecting what he's been taught growing up because he not only like it's not only taking off his helmet in front of grogu it's in front of luke skywalker bo-katan moff gideon like everybody sees his face 
like especially Bo-Katan who you know called him a religious zealot you know the first time they met that's a big deal um but yeah it, it was it was a very emotional scene um and also R2 and Grogu there is a slight part of me that felt like they already kind of knew each other you know so like maybe R2 knew Grogu back when uh, he was on the Jedi Temple uh, in Coruscant like that would be kind of interesting you know uh, unless R2 was like, oh, you look like that stupid green guy that we found on that terrible swamp planet that I almost died on. Oh, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that I had to take to like the center of the galaxy on his own mission in, in season five or season six of the Clone Wars. <laughs> yep. Uh, but it was it was, uh, it was was really uh, heartwarming, heartbreaking, heart things. And uh, it, it was a great emotional scene that, that we have been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it just like, it kind of ends. It's just like, Luke goes off and then the door closes and that's the episode. And I, so I, I was kind of, I wasn't disappointed, but I was like, oh, okay, well, that was a nice happy ending, but it didn't really like do much to like, like, I don't know what they're going to do for season three. Um, and I closed the episode, but I noticed that I still had like five or six minutes left. And I was like, the credits aren't normally five to six minutes long. It's like something, something's up. I was like, let me just humor myself and go back in and f- fast forward through some of the credits and let me just see if there's something else and sure enough <laughs> sure enough we get the end credit scene oh boy Tatooine Jabba's palace and who do we see on the throne Bib Fortuna <laughs> who just took over Jabba's palace uh, after his death which is just kind of funny he's all like big and chubby now he's just been indulging himself in all of the delights of ruling over Jabba's palace uh and then Fennec comes in murders everyone except for Bib Fortuna and then we just see the silhouette and then the clinking of the boots coming down the stairs you know of course we know it's Boba Fett and Bib Fortuna is just like oh Boba Fett like I thought you were dead and he's just like trying to talk like I heard rumors and without saying anything Boba just walks up points his blaster shoots him in the chest he's dead and then Boba sits on the throne we get the dramatic music and the uh, pulling out from the scene oh boy fade to black text fades up the book of Boba Fett coming December 2021 oh boy so many so many thoughts on that so, so many possibilities so many questions because that's essentially uh you know a series that they didn't announce at last week at the disney thing for their I, investors i don't think it's a series though here's the thing i think it's just season three and let me tell you why one the, the big thing is like yeah they didn't announce it at the disney investors conference why would they not announce that like that, that the whole point of that conference is to keep people financial like literally invest in Disney invested and to entice new investors into Disney or you know entice investors to invest more into Disney give them more money you think they like why would they not announce a, sh- a new show about Boba Fett at that meeting Th- like you want to talk about enticing investors who like obviously know Boba Fett's a big deal like that would get people putting loads of cash into disney right mm-hmm. 
Uh, and it's not it's not like it's spoiling anything. Like, yeah, they're going to do a series on Boba Fett. That makes sense. They revealed that about Ahsoka, the, the Rangers of the New Republic. Like, it's not spoiling anything. If anything, it just spoils that maybe he didn't die. He doesn't die in the finale of The Mandalorian. But also, like, even if he did, they could still do a series about, like, his life on Tatooine, you know, and escaping the Sarlacc and everything. So it, that it doesn't make sense that, like, they wouldn't have already announced that. Two, it's titled The Book of Boba Fett. You notice that every episode of The Mandalorian is a chapter, right? So, like, it, we have chapters 1 through 16 so far, seasons 1 and 2. I, so, you know, that's a book. That is a single book, ideally. Uh, perhaps it is a single book. Um, also, why would they announce another show in another show? Like... I, I like I kind of get it, but I also feel like they would just like why would you not have a teaser for your next season of the current show you're watching, right? Because otherwise, like without this post-credit scene, we don't have anything that's really like making us want to watch season three. Like there's some minor unresolved conflicts about how you know like the dark saber thing and about Bo-Katan wanting to rebuild Mandalore, but overall. Like, at the end of Season 1, we had Moff Gideon with the Darksaber, and then we had Mandalorian on his new quest to get Grogu to, you know, his people. And that was what enticed us and made us want Season 2. Um, and at the end of Season 2, we don't really have... There's no direction. There's no, like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go and do this or do that. There, There's nothing. That's what this is. This is alluding to the fact that, like, oh, yeah, the next season is going to, in some way, involve Boba Fett. I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be, like, Boba Fett is the main character and then Din Djarin is now, like, the side character. I kind of feel like it'll still be Din Djarin as, like, our main guy, but the plot is going to revolve around Boba Fett, you know, and uh, or maybe it'll bounce back between the two. I, either way, my main point being, I think it's just season three, right? Because Kathleen Kennedy even said on stage, like the next chapter or the next uh, installment or whatever she said of The Mandalorian will be premiering when? In December of 2021. I believe it's been reported. I think she said like uh, it'll come just in time for Christmas of 2021. I highly doubt that they would release... Season 3 of The Mandalorian and then a Boba Fett series simultaneously. That makes no sense from quite a few perspectives. Uh, one, that's quite that's kind of overwhelming, having two Star Wars shows uh, at the same time. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. Also, from Disney's perspective, you're going to want one series to be the talk of the town, right? Like, while Mandalorian's been premiering, every time a new episode comes out, it's trending for like a couple days at least, right? It is like people are talking about it. Same thing with like Game of Thrones, right? That was the main thing that people would talk about every week. Why would you release two shows when you could just split that up into two separate shows at different times and then, you know, you're constantly in the news, you're constantly on social media. It doesn't make a lot of sense that they would release both of those at the same time. So if what Kathleen Kennedy said is true about the next uh, season of The Mandalorian premiering just in time for Christmas in 2021, and then now we see The Book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. 
I, I feel like, like my opinion is like, it is very obvious to me personally that the book of Boba Fett is going to be essentially season three of the Mandalorian. Um, that I, I could be wrong. Of course I could be very wrong on that. And maybe they do what I said I, that they wouldn't do. And they release them both at the same time. I don't know. I just feel like from all these different perspectives, it doesn't make sense that they would be separate things. I think it has to be that the book of Boba Fett is just the next season of the Mandalorian. There's my fourth rant. All right, Jeff, let me tell you why you're wrong. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Exactly <laughs> like, please tell me because I'm curious. <laughs> no. So, so let, let's, uh, so when it comes to the Mandalorian, I feel that it's not, I feel like there's, a, there's still a chance for Boba Fett to still come back into the show. Like with any other character, you know, they brought back in uh, Fennec and whatnot, you know, there, there's that possibility. But the reason why I think it's, it's not, you know, the book of Boba Fett, it's not season three because that the title, the book of Boba Fett in, implies that the singular main character is Boba Fett. The last thing that they want to do with the Mandalorian is have someone overshadow Din Djarin because he's clearly the main character for these two seasons. They brought in other characters, you know, Bo-Katan, Osokotano, Boba Fett, but they were only kind of like one-off characters so to speak with the exception of boba fett because he he served the purpose of his story to help din get the child back so i feel like that would overshadow the mandalorian and what i think like you brought up the, the good point like where does the show go from here the point of these two seasons was to get you know protect the child get the child back to the jedi you know whoever that was going to be so then you know if they announced an additional two seasons for the mandalorian where does he go from here I feel that the child is going to come back in some way, maybe at the end of season three or somewhere in season four, but he's not going to reunite with the Mandalorian in my, in my mind where he's going to live with him for the rest of his days kind of thing. I think it's more going to be like a touching, you know, where the child comes back in some way, but it's just for a small portion. I think they set up season three to be where, you know, Din Djarin is going to learn more about the Mandalorian cultures, not just the the children of the Watch, but more of like, where does Bo-Katan come from? Where, what are these other tribes? What is Mandalorian society? Like, what's the bigger picture? So I think he's going to learn more about that. Thus, he's going to have to fight Bo-Katan for the Darksaber, like to who's going to actually rule Mandalore at that point. Does he Is he going to rule Mandalore himself? Who knows? I think it's going to be a fight between Bo-Katan and him. Otherwise, it's going to be like a really tense relationship with them too because she her whole purpose for like, what, a couple years was to find Moff Gideon and to get the Darksaber back. But then that was swept under her feet with by, you know, Din taking it from him instead. So I think they need to figure out that kind of dynamic for season three. Uh, and for Book of Boba Fett, that just, for me, just says that that's going to be his own show. What that means exactly, I don't know. Him taking Jabba's throne just kind of implies that he's going to rule uh, Tatooine or the whole, you know, hut kind of like cartel, so to speak. You know, he's going to be like this ringleader of this organization and whatnot. Uh, I find that to be interesting. I want to see where they go with that. I'm not looking forward to him being a leader of this gang kind of thing. Maybe he does his own uh, Hunter's Guild on Tatooine, just the same way that they introduced it on 
uh, the other planet on season one of the Mandalorian. Uh, so I think that's where that's going to go. Um, I would like to see him be more involved in Mandalorian ways, but at the same time, he's already said, I never said I was Mandalorian. He just cares about doing his own thing like his father before him, just being a bounty hunter. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. So I think that's where those, those two different points will be. And then also in terms of other shows, they announced at the Disney press conference there, whatever the hell it was called, uh, that there's going to be like what 10 shows over the next 15 years there's going to be some overlap along the way you know you can't do one episode one show per year because uh, that's only amounts to what 10 years but they said 15 years so we're we have to safely assume that it's going to be at least what two seasons per show you know i think that's a safe bet uh, therefore there's going to be overlap so at some point these shows are going to coincide with each other, whether they like it or not. You know, if they only want the focus to be on one, one show, I don't think that's going to happen at some point. There's going to be a second show. Like let's say season one premieres a one show at the same time, the season two or three premieres of another show. That's just going to happen. But I think that's only going to help them out even more because if they tie into these other stories, like Ahsoka Tano is supposed to take place around the same time as Mandalorian. So that's going to say, you know, wait, wait a minute. Ahsoka meant, met the mandalorian oh let me go see the mandalorian and see how that what what that show is about so i think it's going to spend more of that talking point of like oh you know did you see this episode oh no like or tell me more or whatnot it's gonna be like a trading card game like pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, where it's like hey do you have this card no where'd you get it from that kind of thing i think it's only going to bolster uh their 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 revenue it's going to add more subscribers uh, just the fact that you have more shows premiering at the same time, just more enticing for people to, you know, follow more of this, uh, this Star Wars, you know, uh, you know, golden age of streaming for Star Wars. I disagree, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> like, I, well, because it's not one show per year. It's you have fall and you have spring. I mean, hell, you can even go different seasons, right? So you have four, you have four quarters in every year. Each quarter can be a different show. Yeah, um, I I don't I I really unless they're like two completely different target audiences. So like us, like adults, and then kids. That's the only time where I can see them having two shows going on at the same time. Otherwise, I just in every sense I don't think it it makes sense to do two shows, especially two premieres at the same time. I I, I highly doubt that's what they're going to do. But ultimately we can speculate for hours and you know, we just have to wait and see. I'm stoked for whatever they're doing, whatever they choose to do. I'm excited for it. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, we'll, we'll watch all the, all the shows. Oh yeah. I'll watch everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, I think that's all that I had. Uh, we've been going for almost two hours now. A lot, lot of, lot of stuff. Um, I got, I got one more rant. I got one go more rant. It. Go for it. All right. So I don't know if you caught this, Jeff, or have you even heard anything about it since this last episode came out, but someone has pointed out, uh, well, first mini rant, and it's not really meant to go anywhere. Because Luke takes Grogu, it makes me worry, did Kylo Ren kill Grogu? Like, yeah. before episode seven? We don't know. You know, that that's probably going to be explored because that that's a big plot point to figure out you know what, what happens to the child you know at some point they'll figure it out you know i'm not too worried about it but it just makes me worry at first like oh my gosh what happened to grogu but the main main rant is there's a bit of a plot hole with the dark saber and 
it it makes sense that in the historical symbolism aspect of the dark saber that the owner has to win the saber in combat doesn't necessarily need to result in death but you know you have to face your opponent that's why he can't just give it to her that makes sense in the context of this episode but then someone pointed out like hold on hold on the last person to own that sword before Bo or Moff Gideon was Sabine Wren. She had it, but her mother tells her in an episode of Star Wars Rebels that she can't claim ownership of that saber until she wins it in a duel. She fights Gar Saxon on the lake on their planet. Uh, I don't think she doesn't kill him, but her mother kills him because he who's going to stab her in the back kind of thing. So she claims title of the of the Darksaber finally, but she doesn't want the responsibility. So Bo-Katan comes in and she willingly gives it to Bo-Katan who easily and willingly accepts it. There's no duel involved. So it's just like, hold on, like what happens here kind of thing. Uh, so that's that's the plot point that I want to point it out. I hope they address it in, in season three as they have addressed other plot points in this season so far. Uh, my theory is that Bo-Katan fights Sabine Wren at some point for it and she wins. You know, I think Sabine would give her her all. But it's just like we have three different instances of these dark saber. There's the issue of ownership and two out of the three are are consistent with the dual aspect but the one without so it's just like what what happens there kind of thing and i hope it's not necessarily a retcon if they do that's what pisses me off about storytelling is that when retcon gets involved uh but at the same time these the show has been worked on by dave filoni who worked on rebel so i'm pretty sure he had to be aware of that issue from the get-go so i'm, I'm guessing that he's gonna fix that later on yeah that that is I I never thought about that. That is interesting. Um, I I I doubt that they'll retcon that. Um, I'd have to go back and watch that episode, and then see maybe like how that could be worked in. I mean, yeah, it could be that like because the last time we saw Bo-Katan was like after she got the dark saber, and then that was it. That was the last yeah. time we saw her in Rebels. So maybe there was a point after that where uh, she had trouble claiming ruler because people were like, well, you never actually won that. It was just given to you. And then she has to go back and fight Sabine. Um, you you could also argue maybe that because Sabine didn't technically kill Garth Saxon, which I know clearly that doesn't have to happen. Um, but maybe then it still wasn't a legitimate claim. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like that that does have to come up again, though, considering that uh like this was kind of the same circumstance where mando was like i don't want it you take it and she's like i can't um which well, honestly how, might... but why could she take it from sabine at that point right so... right exactly that, that, that's what that's what i'm saying that's why like that should be cleared up unless there is some other thing that i you know that we don't that we missed in rebels or something i don't know well we'll see uh maybe it'll just be one of those from a certain point of view things um but anyways, that's going to end this episode of the podcast. Thank you all for watching. Uh, or actually just listening. You probably, they're not watching anything else. You're just watching the waveforms bounce. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go and drink some water. Uh, <laughs> uh, overall, I thought this was uh, an excellent season. I'm excited to see what they do next. 
And yeah, thank you guys for watching. Uh, you can follow us at Digital Century. See, you know, all the normal stuff. There's the there's the thing, uh, which you can barely see. At Digital Century, see on all social media to learn when we do the things. Uh, yep, I've been Jeff. And I've been Dom. Alrighty, and we'll see y'all later. Goodbye.